Today's reading, this evening's reading, is from Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. So, Luke, chapter 11, verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter, without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you, experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, This generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. When I was younger, my Sunday school teacher said something that had a major impact on my life. Initially, I thought what he said would just impact my Christian life. But recently, I've realized that his words were true in everyday life as well. It really is a privilege to be here this evening to share with you. Have you noticed how the important things in life 
are repeated. For example, uh, traffic lights are important. And there's usually two or more traffic lights at just about every junction. Traffic safety is important, so it's repeated. And when you get married, the happy couple, well, they're usually happy, aren't they? The happy couple, they sign two or more marriage registers. Why? Because marriage is important. It's repeated. And when you apply for a job, you'll be asked for the names of two or more referees, people who can vouch for you. Recruiting staff is important. So it's repeated. The important things in life are repeated. This is what my Sunday school teacher was getting at. He said, take notice of what God says in the Bible, but take extra notice when God says the same thing more than once. It was good advice. A repeated word or phrase in the Bible is often a clue that God wants to underline a particular truth. This is important, so it's been repeated. Our Bible passage for this evening, Luke 11, 37 to 54, also appears in Matthew 23. This is important, so it's been repeated. What's more, the word woe is repeated not twice, but six times. So, just based on the number of repetitions, Jesus clearly wants to underline an important truth. But before we go on, let's pray and ask God to help us to understand what this passage says. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us in the Bible. Thank you that it is alive and relevant to our lives today. As we look at these verses in Luke 11, speak to us, we pray, and show us how our lives can honor you afresh. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're continuing our series looking at the Gospel of Luke. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking here at Luke chapter 11. Interestingly, what Jesus teaches in this chapter is as a result of a prayer meeting, of a wonderful miracle, and a dinner invitation. And Jesus used those events to speak about some important topics. Firstly, on the power of prayer. Then, the power of the devil. And thirdly, the importance of being a shining light for Jesus in this dark world. Now, at the end of the chapter, Jesus is invited to a meal at the home of a Pharisee. We don't know the reason why the invitation was given, but it is reasonable to suggest that the Pharisee was either interested in what Jesus had been teaching, or he wanted to trap and accuse Jesus. But knowing what the religious leaders were thinking, Jesus provided a spiritual analysis of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus starts each of his insights with the word, Woe. 
Now, just to be clear, Jesus does not use the word woe to be nasty or vindictive or even to tell them off. Instead, Jesus is expressing his regret. Jesus is lamenting and he is disappointed that this is the spiritual condition of the religious leaders. Firstly, we see their petty hypocrisy. Their petty hypocrisy. Verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. It's very difficult for us today to fully understand just how preoccupied the Pharisees were to make sure that they tithed exactly a tenth of everything. But I have a visual aid. Ben, can you help me here, please? This, if you can't see from the, the, uh, the back, is just some cress. Ben, please would you count the crest and establish exactly 10%. Exactly. Exactly 10%. Okay? Just exactly 10%. No more, no less. Exactly 10%. Well, we'll see how it goes. Now, as Ben does this task, I want you to just think how much effort and energy that is being taken in doing this counting. Now imagine also Ben walking down the street, counting all this cress, and he walks along the street and past someone who is homeless and hungry. To put it bluntly, should we count vegetables next to someone who is suffering and hungry? This is the spiritual hypocrisy that Jesus was highlighting. Ben, let me put you out of your misery. Thank you very much. I haven't counted. I can't give you the answer straight away. But if you want to finish it later, I'll let you. Just to be clear, there was nothing wrong with what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus did not say that they should stop tithing. What Jesus was highlighting was that they should put their religious activities into proper perspective. Jesus wasn't disappointed that they were tithing their herbs. No, Jesus was sad because the Pharisees were so concerned about the trivial stuff that they ignored or disregarded God's justice And God's unconditional love for the world. Years ago, I preached at the church. And at the end of the service, someone came up to me and uh, spoke to me. And they said, great sermon, Simon, but lose the tie. And I thought to myself, what does the tie I am wearing have to do with the powerful word of God in the Bible. My point is this, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are called to shine the light of Christ into the world. 
As Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our challenge today is to live our lives wholeheartedly for Jesus and to follow him in loving obedience. The other stuff, however important it is, we need to make sure that the other stuff in our Christian lives, that we keep that secondary. We need to shine for Jesus. Their petty hypocrisy, and secondly, they sought public applause. Verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectfully and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. What Jesus says here makes a little more sense if we understand the layout inside a synagogue. Generally, synagogues today still look much the same as they did in Bible times. Sadly, we don't have time to look at this in detail. But for our purposes, notice the two chairs on the platform. Hopefully the screen will appear. Um, the two chairs on the platform, they're identified in the diagram at number six. These are the important seats that Jesus is talking about. The Pharisees loved being in the public eye. And they especially liked sitting in the best seats in the synagogue. A seat at the front facing the congregation. Anyone who was sitting in these seats was seen to be a man of honor and distinction. Ironically, a hundred years ago in Wales, the chapel where my grandfather attended also had seats at the front. This was where the church elders sat. But these seats were not a place of honor. It was where the elders could see everyone and make sure that no one skipped church on a Sunday. What Jesus was saying was that the Pharisees placed their personal reputation above everything else. They thought that by sitting in the honored seats and being acknowledged in public... The Pharisees thought that this would make them spiritual. Effectively, the Pharisees were trying to earn their way to heaven. But as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is an important truth. If our if our salvation, if our eternal salvation depended on what we did, then the focus would always be on us, not on God. Salvation by works is how you run a competition to find a winner. It is not how we enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have been saved by grace through faith. Our challenge today is to live our lives wholeheartedly for Jesus. To live out the joy that through faith in what Jesus has done at Calvary, our sins are forgiven. 
And we have the assurance of eternal life with him. Let's keep going. The petty hypocrisy, the public applause, and they gave peculiar guidance. Peculiar guidance. Verse 44. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. What Jesus said here would have really annoyed the host and the other Pharisees who were at the meal. Why? Because the Pharisees were especially, especially careful that they stayed ceremonially clean. Why? Because if they were ceremonially unclean, they would not be able to go into the temple and then be seen and acknowledged. One of the biggest problems at that time was that people were buried in unmarked graves. As a result, a Pharisee could accidentally walk over an unmarked grave and become ceremonially unclean. To avoid this problem, the Pharisees gave this rather strange instruction that the people had to identify every grave. Jesus was highlighting that the Pharisees were more of a hindrance than a help. They were unconsciously defiling others when they thought they were trying to help them to become more holy. Instead of helping the people, the Pharisees were actually harming the people spiritually. One Bible commentator puts it this way. In the same way that the people became ceremonially unclean when they walked over unmarked graves, the people who walked in the teaching of the Pharisees became morally unclean. Sadly, I know someone who has often said, don't do as I do, do as I tell you. Clearly, as Christians... This is not what God wants of his followers. As 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love merely in theory, with word or with tongue, giving lip service to compassion, but in action and in truth, in practice and in sincerity, because practical acts of love are more than just words. Jesus wants our words and our actions to be consistent. Our challenge today is to live our lives wholeheartedly for Jesus, to equally speak and to do what honors and glorifies Jesus. The petty hypocrisy, public applause, the peculiar guidance. Jesus addressed the next three woes to the experts in the law, sometimes called scribes. These men were a little like our politicians today. They loved debating with other experts, but they caused an awful lot of problem for the other people. They were, these experts were obsessed with every little detail of the law in the Old Testament. And, uh, what happened was that they missed the reason and the simplicity of the law as a result. What was worse, they demanded that their interpretation was always right. Jesus lamented their attitude. 
highlighting first that they imposed punishing burdens. Punishing burdens. Verse 46, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. The scribes were good at adding to what the people had to do to meet the law, but they had no interest at all in helping the people to do what was required. In fact, one of the teachings of the scribes said that it was more important to follow what the scribes said was the interpretation of the law than to actually follow what the law said itself. (laughs) Weird. There's a story of a minister who prayed each day, Dear Lord, help me today not to add to anyone's problems. Hmm. I must remember that prayer. The unrealistic, unrealistic demands from the experts of the law are in complete contrast to what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to live our lives wholeheartedly for Jesus to show in our words and in our actions that through the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we have the burden of our sins taken away and we are free to have a personal love relationship with Jesus. The punishing burdens of the scribes. And secondly, they preserved gravestones. Verse 47. Woe to you because you build tombs for the, for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. Again, we need to understand what the scribes were doing in Jesus' times. Bible scholars agree that the scribes often sought to honor the Old Testament prophets by building elaborate tombs and memorials for them. Now, on the face of it, that sounds good and honorable. But the problem comes when you look at why the Old Testament prophets had died in the first place. The prophets had brought a message from God, but the religious leaders did not like what they heard. So they rejected the message by killing the messenger. So the scribes were honoring prophets that had been killed and martyred by the religious group that the scribes were actually part of. The scribes were indirectly agreeing that the prophets should be killed. And they were actually finishing the job because they were building a tomb for the prophets to be put in. Isn't it ironic that the Pharisees were described as hidden graves, yet the scribes were building elaborate tombs? In either case, though, the end result was death and separation from God. What a contrast, then, that Jesus declared in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to live our lives wholeheartedly for Jesus. We need to declare to our friends and our family that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. The punishing burdens, the preserved gravestones, and lastly, they encouraged perplexing mysteries. Verse 52, woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. Although, although these lawyers should have explained God's law to help and to inspire the people, they were actually making more problems for the people. In fact, the scribes were robbing the people of the knowledge of the word of God. This is serious. It was bad enough that they would not enter the kingdom of God themselves, but the scribes are also making it difficult for others. And perhaps this is a warning to us today. As helpful and as necessary as theological studies are, the most important truth is that Jesus is the key to the Bible. In Luke 24, at 44, Jesus told the disciples on the road to Emmaus, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to live our lives wholeheartedly for Jesus. So as we read the Bible and as we study God's word, we seek the person of Jesus. Let us grow and deepen our personal relationship with him. After all, he is the one who loves us so much, he has chosen to spend eternity with us. The petty hypocrisy, the public applause, the peculiar guidance, the punishing burdens, the preserved gravestones, the perplexing mysteries. I think it's fair to say that these verses at the end of Luke chapter 11 are challenging. (laughs) They are a challenge to understand And they are a challenge to apply to our lives today. What Jesus says is challenging and uncomfortable and and almost rude. Verse 53 indicates that the scribes and Pharisees were certainly annoyed and offended by what Jesus said. They responded by opposing Jesus fiercely and besieging him with questions. And perhaps this is the reason why Jesus spoke these words. Jesus is seeking a response. If we're honest, if we are truly honest, many of us think of Jesus as, well, some sort of divine Father Christmas. When we pray on our own, what we say is often closer to being a wish list than seeking and discovering what Jesus wants in a situation. We quickly pray that Jesus will change the hearts of other people, but rarely do we pray that Jesus will change our hearts and lives. 
In other words, we're happy to pray the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of Luke chapter 11 and say that your kingdom come. But often we skip over the challenge and the implications of that prayer that Jesus presents at the end of Luke chapter 11. So this evening, let's decide once and for all to live our lives wholeheartedly and completely for Jesus, 100%. How? By honestly focusing on the priorities of our Christian life, by humbly living out the joy that our sins are forgiven, by ensuring that what we say and what we do are consistent and equally honor and glorify Jesus. By showing through our words and our actions that we have a personal love relationship with Jesus. By speaking to our family, our friends, and yes, even our work colleagues, that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And by reading and studying our Bibles to discover the person of Jesus and to deepen our personal love relationship with him. This is important. It's been repeated. So how will we respond? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word today. Thank you for pointing us to Jesus, our loving Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your love towards us, that you were willing to pay the price on the cross for our wrongdoing. Thank you that by believing on what you have done for us at Calvary, we are free, we are saved, and we have the promise of eternal life. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us this week to live our lives worthy of being called followers of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.